Welcome to the Monitor Daily Podcast. It's Friday, March 1st. Thanks for joining us. I'm Mark Sappenfield. And I'm Lawrence Belsey. Pavel Pushka could be bitter or vengeful. The veteran journalist saw Poland's previous authoritarian government turn state media into a partisan mouthpiece. Now that regime is gone, ousted by voters, and Mr. Pushka wants to help rebuild. How? There is no hatred, no poison, no hate, he tells Lenora Chu. This is public television. So all groups, even those that do not recognize us, have their place here. We explain to people that patriotism does not mean that you are a member of one party. Poland helped lead Eastern Europe out of communism. Today, its lessons are for the world. For our selection of top news briefs from the wire services today, please go to csmonitor.com daily. Now today's Monitor Stories. Our first story. As states face a rising tide of homelessness and mental illness, Californians are set to vote on Proposition 1 to help people get off the streets and into homes and places for treatment. Olga Resendez, who works with adults with severe mental illness, greets a resident holding artwork. Ms. Resendez praises the artist, but the resident, a willowy woman diagnosed with schizophrenia, also has a question. Will they do something special for her birthday? Yes, Mrs. Resendez reassures the woman. You are special. The resident seems pleased. You just need that one-on-one, says Ms. Resendez, who works at the ASC Treatment Group, a privately owned facility for 37 adults in Los Angeles. Absent this supportive environment, she could very easily become homeless, she says later. As states grapple with rising homelessness and mental illness, politicians are under pressure to do something. California's latest effort, Proposition 1 on the March 5 ballot, would overhaul the state's mental health system to link it to housing. Proposition 1 has its critics. Some say more health dollars for housing means fewer for mental health services. Others say the measure will have limited impact. But polling shows nearly two-thirds of likely voters support it. Experts say its significance lies in marrying mental health with housing on the California ballot. There is no medication as powerful as housing, says Dr. Margot Kushal, director of the Benioff Homelessness and Housing Initiative at the University of California, San Francisco. This story was reported by Francine Kiefer in Los Angeles for The Monitor. Forced by Israeli assaults to flee their homes, Many Gaza residents fear a repeat of the 1948 Nakba, meaning catastrophe, that drove 700,000 Palestinians into refugee camps. Israelis marked the 1948 war around the creation of their state as one of independence against attacking Arab armies and Palestinian fighters. Palestinians view the conflict as a systematic campaign by Jewish militias to terrorize Palestinian civilians and drive them from their lands. They call it the Nakba, which means catastrophe. Hundreds of thousands of Palestinians were forced from their homes into refugee camps around the region. 
and there are many residents of Gaza who believe history is repeating itself, as Israeli military action is forcing over a million people out of their homes. The Israeli government insists it has no plans to eject Palestinians from the Gaza Strip, but senior cabinet members allied with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu have bluntly threatened such an outcome. Only a few Palestinians in Gaza are old enough to remember the 1948 Nakba, but all of them have heard the stories, and some still have the keys to the houses their ancestors fled, thinking that they would be back in a few days. I'd hope to live to witness a future of safety, free from war, says Nakba survivor Abu Ayman. It saddens me to see my children and grandchildren experiencing what we endured. This story was reported by Gada Abdul Fattah in Deir al-Bala, Gaza Strip, for the Monitor. How do you restore faith in a public broadcaster that had been a tool of government spin? That's the challenge facing Polish journalists at TVP, the state TV channel, after eight years of polarized coverage. When Poland's Law and Justice Party took office in 2016, it swept the old staff from public broadcasters and installed party loyalists. The airwaves quickly filled with propaganda and antagonism of people the government disfavored. So, when centrists came back to power in elections last October, it left an unprecedented cleanup job behind in the halls of TVP, Poland's state television channel. In my mind, I had this thought, says Maciej Tchaikovsky, a news editor fired in 2016, now back at TVP. If there's a chance to restore democracy, and I can take a part in it, and share my knowledge and experience, I have to be here. Changing the tenor of what's being aired has been a top priority. We changed the language. That was the first thing, says Paweł Puska, editor-in-chief for TVP's evening news program. There is no hatred, no poison, no hate. Secondly, we recognize that this is public television, so all groups, even those that do not recognize us, have their place here. We explain to people that patriotism does not mean that you are a member of one party. This story was reported by Lenora Chu in Warsaw, Poland, for The Monitor. Senegal's average age is 22. As young people there await their first presidential election, they must decide not only who to vote for, but also if they think voting can make any difference in their country. For political canvassers in Senegal, getting voters excited for election day is a hard sell because no one actually knows when the vote will take place. It was originally scheduled for late February, but earlier in the month, President Macky Sall abruptly called it off and no new date has been set. Meanwhile, the major opposition candidate will not be on the ballot, a fact that his supporters have spent the better part of a year protesting. The stakes of this moment are particularly high for first-time voters who are deciding not just which presidential candidate to vote for, but also whether they think voting is a useful tool for change in Senegal at all. Senegal's average age is 22, and fewer than 50% of young people here are formally employed. In recent years, many young Senegalese have voted with their feet by leaving the country on dangerous clandestine journeys to Europe. Now, many see this election as crucial for determining if a better future is possible for them at home. This story was reported by Ayan Ding Bior in Yumbul, Senegal, for The Monitor. 
Focus is often put on preserving disappearing languages, but what of other traditions? For some, vitality rests with maintaining a culture's visual representations, too. Two dozen artisans crouch over handlooms threaded with bright orange and sky-blue cottons. Their fingers nimbly create a jamdani, an intricately woven sari. Decades ago, this workshop, east of the Bangladeshi capital, Dhaka, would have been silent. After Bangladesh became an independent nation in 1971, the non-governmental organization Building Resources Across Communities set out to revitalize the weaving practice. It approached artisan families like that of Anwar Islam, owner of this shop. But this is not just a business success story. In an age in which locally made is a moral demand of many consumers, when the pushback against cultural appropriation and the industrialization of fashion and art gains force, the Jamdani is seen as a story of cultural success, too. It's part of the championing and preservation of objects from sealskin parkas in the Arctic to duck decoys and quilts across the United States that otherwise may be forgotten. These objects are made to be functional, but they are also forms of art, says Chris Gorman, a deputy director of the American Folk Art Museum in New York. Without people championing the study and preservation of objects like these, there's a possibility that people will simply forget about them, and it's hard to revive them or prove their relevance. This story was reported by Sarah Milayana in Rukganj, Bangladesh, and Talayok, Nunavut, for the Monitor. No commentary from the Monitor's editorial board on healing spaces in post-conflict societies. Societies emerging from conflict sometimes seek to rebuild on foundations of accountability and forgiveness. Many set up formal commissions to promote reconciliation through truth-telling and mercy. Such transitional justice, however, often depends more on grassroots efforts than on governments. That's because, as seen in a new virtual museum dedicated to showing Afghan victims of war and human rights abuses, personal narratives are central to healing war-torn communities. They help seed empathy and trust among former enemies. The Afghan Memory Home is a growing online archive of testimonies of endurance by ordinary Afghans during years of conflict and repressive rule under the Taliban. The Virtual Museum is an example of the kind of community-led initiatives that Somali President Hassan Sheikh Mohammed has described as healing spaces, local sites of nation-building where the traumas and resentments of war are salved through traditional forms of civic engagement based on cultural values, spirituality, and listening. These projects in reconciliation quietly persist almost everywhere people seek freedom from conflict or repression, from Afghanistan to Yemen. They often supplant the work of national transitional justice initiatives stalled by political disagreements or lack of cooperation. That's a wrap for the news. You can find the full-length versions of these stories in today's issue or at csmonitor.com daily. For more Monitor audio, including our serial podcasts, go to csmonitor.com podcasts. Thank you for joining us today. Please come back next week when we share our cover story from the weekly magazine about Joe Biden and his status as the last bastion of the way Washington once was, a place of deal-making and of relationships that went beyond partisanship. 
Is there still a place in American politics for that approach? Today's Christian Science Spiritual Perspective contributor shares how nothing can keep us from God's love and goodness. You can find the column in today's issue or at csmonitor.com daily. Want some spiritual inspiration as you prepare to meditate on or pray about the state of the world? The Daily Lift, a free weekday podcast, offers short, shareable takes on inspiring ideas. Listen at christianscience.com slash dailylift or wherever you listen to podcasts. We want to give a quick thanks to our staff, including today's audio production team, Jeff Turton and Caitlin Babcock. This podcast is produced by the Christian Science Monitor in Boston, Massachusetts, USA. Copyright 2024.